This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guest is the new artistic director of Remy Bumpo, Timothy Douglas, who I think took up the reins a couple of weeks ago. Officially July 1st. Uh Um, And we're just going to talk about his vision for the company, what he inherits, and where he sees taking it from here. So welcome, and thanks for talking to me. Thank you, Anne. So uh, you've had a decades-long career in the theater in lots of different capacities. Yes. And maybe you could just kind of describe some of the things that you think are important in understanding who you've become as an artist. I started out as an actor um, and and worked on the stage for quite a while and uh, did the, I guess, inevitable move to Los Angeles to try to break into film and television. I'd always worked as an actor, made my living as an actor until I moved to Los Angeles yeah. and I could not get arrested there. <laughs> but what happened while I was there, I was in the midst of my uh, training and a uh, designation as a Linklater voice instructor and teaching at University of Southern California. And I directed a play at school because I had to. Someone saw it and really in an instant, I had a directing career. Um, mm. And it was not anything I was looking for. It it was definitely something I felt suited for when it, once it started to happen and clearly was a culmination of everything I had done up to that point. But mm-hmm. yes, I've never done anything in the forward way. My theater career kicked in in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> what was the play that you directed? A Raisin in the Sun. Uh-huh. And initially I uh, chafed at it because I thought the, the school was, the theater school was um, dedicating their season to American, the best of American plays. And, um, you know, that was the African-American representative play. And I thought, well, it's a terrific play. But I went back and said, there are great living black playwrights. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't we look at that? Well, they had decided and they said, and if you don't direct it, uh, we'll ask this faculty member to direct it. And I <laughs> I just couldn't uh, do that. I couldn't let that happen. So I, I <laughs> dutifully... Um, decided to direct it. And I, I knew the play. I was in a production years before and, um, it was a good play. I knew the movie, of course, growing up with that. But as I started working on it, I realized what a great black American play it was. And the further we went into it, I thought, this is a great American play and holds its own against O'Neill and Williams. And then it's actually a world classic. And I realized as much as I thought it was overdone, mm-hmm. it is underdone in, in the world canon. And, Having that journey on my first production was really remarkable and, and, um, sort of set the tone and the pace for how I come at directing plays. And the school, I'm assuming, asked you to do it because you're African American. That, that is right? why, yes. And, did and, and it was at the behest of the African American students who, mm-hmm. you know, there weren't many. And, and I was the only, um, African American, uh, theater professor at that time. And so, you know, it was, Obvious. I mean, I didn't, I mean, yes, I mean, it feels a little, um, pigeonhole mm-hmm. but at the same time, well, yes, I want to do that. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, we will, we will have a very specific experience and it wouldn't be the same if it was a white director. Yeah. So I was fine with that. And, and I also was fine with it because it was just a big old experiment. I'd never directed a play before. Right, so. right. And then it turned out to be <laughs> and it turned very out successful. Someone saw it and made an assumption that I was a director brought in to work with the students and wow. they had me in for a meeting and, I'm sitting here talking to you now. (laughs) As the new artistic director. Well, that's, um, I think, an interesting thing about your career is that you've been in the theater now for a very long time and acting, but mostly directing for 
what, the uh, last? I, this, that story I told you was 1993, mm-hmm. and I, I really haven't stopped directing since. So that's nearly two decades now. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can do the math. Just, yes, you can. I never doubted for a second. <laughs> um, so, but this is your first foray into artistic directing. Yes. And that I have to think is a very big change in how in what your job is as compared to being a freelance director. Which it is. is what you've it, been. it is. But I, I feel prepared in that I've served on, at two very large institutions. I was a director in residence at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Actually, they're the ones who really gave me my start. I was tapped by them. And then I served as associate artistic director at Actors Theatre of Louisville mm-hmm. for three seasons. And I have worked at a a lot of major regional theaters around the country, and I'm a very nosy person. And I, you know, always was in the administrative offices about the third or fourth uh, day of rehearsal, just meeting people and just chatting and mm-hmm. getting to know the institution because I learned something as a freelance director that depending on the ownership that the staff takes, the sense of pride and ownership they take of the institution they work at really determines how my production is going to go mm. in terms of support, particularly uh, at the tech period. And, and I don't know how I put that together, but it it, it worked with mathematical exactness. So I always, mm. you know, roam the halls. So I absorbed a lot over these uh, past near two decades, as you point <laughs> out. And now that I'm in this position, and it's been a short while, but I feel all of that knowledge is now moving in reverse. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I've never run my own company, but it all feels very natural mm-hmm. <laughs> and organic. Well, you're giving up a lot, I think, by giving up a freelance career. I'm not giving up my freelance career. You can I'm do curbing that. it. Curbing it. Right. Curbing it. Curbing it, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, so you will be able to continue to do shows elsewhere. Yes, and the mm-hmm. board was actually insistent upon that. Oh, that's you great. Know, this Remy, the, bo- the board and the search committee um, were very clear that part of the charge of the new artistic director is to open the profile of the company and toward national recognition. Mm-hmm. And they were seeking someone who had a national profile. Um, you know, I have nothing if I don't have contacts. And um, uh, I don't think that was the main reason I was hired, but mm-hmm. I know that that is part of the the charge to the new artistic director. Right. And that directly goes to the point of what is different about a, being an artistic director, which is that you have not just an obligation to the art, let's say, but to an institution yes. as well. Yes. So, so what's fun about that? Well, Bottom line is the institution are the people, you know, mm-hmm. who, who run it. And this is a great group of people. And, um, we're learning a lot about each other. And I, 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 at the moment still, I have the largest learning curve. I had no prior experience with this company. Um, I, I think it's, well, I know it's rare that an artistic director appointment without having had a previous relationship. Yeah. Very rare. Yeah. Uh, no one had seen my work before my appointment. So this is a great leap of faith we're all taking. Mm. But everyone here has history with each other and a pretty intimate one. And and so I'm enjoying getting to know people. But I, I'm also equally learning about myself because at once I consider myself a warm and open and inviting person. But I also have this internal rhythm that understands there are things that I just don't understand. There are depths of relationships, intricacies, mm-hmm. details that I can feel. I can feel yeah. it. Um, and it has to unfold in its own time. And so while at once I embrace everything and I'm really enjoying this shotgun wedding thus far, um, <laughs> I know that I don't know. And, and by the same token, I allow that 
that people don't know me and something will come out of my mouth, <laughs> um, some random comment, and the whole room just stops. And I thought, oh, okay, so now here's an opportunity for um, not so much education, but cross-pollinization mm -hmm. of information, of beliefs, of assumptions, expectations. And that's been fun. And it's been, we've had the luxury of being down, you know, the last production closed in, uh, April, I think, or early May. And so we've had, I've been around, even though my, I officially started July 1st, I've been around. So we've had the luxury of really just getting to know each other. And so that's been fun. Uh, the Chicago theater community has been over the top, ridiculously welcoming to me. I can't tell you how many welcoming, welcome events I've been to in my honor. And, and it just seems to continue. The com that's what I remember about my time in Chicago as a young actor when I was here for three years back in the late eighties. Just how, what a great community it was. Yeah. Something that, wasn't achievable in New York, which is where my home has been for so long, just because of the numbers, I think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that's been really fun. Getting to know the city again has been terrific and um, planning season. That's, I love that. And, yeah. but the real fun for me is actually being in the room doing the work and I get to start in a few weeks. Right. Well, that you raised two things that are interesting to me. One is this, um, point that the Remy Bumpo company has grown up together in, I mean, most of them have yes. been working together for all these years and have grown up under only one artistic director. Yes. James was at the helm, James Bonin, for so long. And that is a really interesting situation, which I hadn't really been thinking about before you, you raised it, that there's this group of people who are completely a community mm -hmm. and this one new guy who comes in at the top. Mm -hmm. That's, a, that's so, so what, um, how do you figure out what parts of what they've always been continue and and what new you can introduce? That's a very abstract question. No, I get it. it and because it, it's, it's an abstract situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you actually captured the question captures this, the feeling of it exactly. Um, specifically with the artistic associates, the actors who have been with the company for so long under James, the I won't have the next part of that answer until we're actually in the room working together. Mm -hmm. Now, we've been working diligently over these past few weeks, um, uh, regular uh, meetings that the artistic associates have that I attend, and that's where I learn the bulk of what has gone before, mm -hmm. um, their goals and desires that have gone before and what we're creating together. And we're preparing to work together as artists, which is a very different part of the system and will have all kinds of information that comes with that. So I can't answer this question yet until we have that experience. And as I say, we start rehearsals at the end of next month, and I'm, I'm certainly chomping at the bit. I, I think they're a little anxious as well mm -hmm. to get started. But it's very tricky stuff. So this is this is an example of um, all of us agreeing, certainly me doing my best to uh, kind of in a holding pattern, you know, remaining open, really listening and paying attention but uh, decisions that have to be made because of a calendar thing, I'm doing that. But those that those policy things, those paradigm things, what I'm a different individual than James. Mm -hmm. And again, once we start working together, it'll be very clear right. what the major changes are going to be about and how we merge with that. So um, I don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. But so far, um, we exist um, harmoniously in this holding pattern and Stay tuned. What is the role of the artistic associates in the Remy Bumpo um, structure? They are 
for all intents and purposes, the face of this company and of season planning, of course. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually in the deep in the process of uh, seeking out our 2012, 2013 season already. Right. We're reading a lot of scripts now and having great discussions. And that's been great for me. Just that's how I'm getting to know them as well. Right. Um, and to advise me and to, to, um, not so much recruit audiences, but again, they are the public face. So they're mm-hmm. kind of always on when they're out and about. And they take that very seriously. Yeah. It's interesting when you said that because it immediately resonated with me. I couldn't think of another company. For me, you know, David Darlow, Annabelle Armour, Linda Gillum, yes. Gregory Anderson, those are that and Sean to me. Douglas. It, right. Yeah, Sean, right. Um, kind of that's what Remy Bumpo is in my mind. Right. So that's, that's very, that rings very true to me, what you said. Um, and, and the other thing I would think that's key about becoming an artistic director is that you're kind of declaring a home. Yes. Does it feel like that? Yes. And that was, that was, um, after all these years freelancing and I love it. I still love it. I love the travel mm-hmm. and I, um, love the meeting all the people that I meet at the different institutions, a different cast for every show. It's fantastic. But I was finally willing to admit to middle age. And what there was, there was a chemical change internally that I actually felt Mm -hmm. I I was experiencing it. And for the first time in my life, I wanted to be around my stuff more. (laughs) Um, I had no attachments and I don't feel I'm terribly attached to my stuff, but I suddenly yearned for community. I Mm -hmm. suddenly was aware of a body of knowledge that I had that must be shared. Otherwise, it'll die on the vine. I, I feel responsible to younger artists now. I, f- I feel responsible to being a mentor. Um, and right about the time that I actually sat myself down and, and accepted this as, you know, I think my life's about to change, mm-hmm. I heard about this search. Mm-hmm. I was never interested in being an artistic director. I've been asked many times to apply over the years. I've just, no, it just never interested me. Um, but, and this one... I can't say was any more interesting to me. It was just the timing. And I thought, I need, I can no longer just blanketly say no. So let me have a conversation and see what this is about. I looked at the profile of this company. I knew nothing about this company. I did my research and I thought, they will never hire me. So I will throw my hat in the ring. And if they interview me, I think it'll be good for me. I think it'll be good for this company and how I perceive its take on the world for this company to speak to a person of color as mm-hmm. they do this search, just mm-hmm. to open their minds a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's what I went into it with. And I had no investment other than a, a, um, a, an authentic um an integral conversation. So when you said this company will never hire me, what did you mean? Oh, there are, uh, there are three cases nationally where, uh, a theater company of this size or larger that wasn't ethnic specific in their mission has hired a black artistic director. So I, and I, and not that it's impossible, and I, I try to always be diligent to stay on this side of cynicism. Right. But I just, it's just this company, it's not going to happen. Looking mm-hmm. at the body of work, looking at the mission, when they asked me, is there anything we need to talk about that we haven't covered? I said, do you really, do, if you really think that you can consider hiring a black man to take over the legacy of this company, um, you do understand that in the door would walk 
uh, a lot of other expectations, perceptions, having nothing to do with me as an individual, mm-hmm. having nothing to do with your current mission, but it would suddenly it would be inherited. Have you talked about that? Have you? And uh, and there was great excitement, not only mm-hmm. about the question, but about the possibilities at the level of the understanding of that conversation. Uh, then I was invited to come out in person and meet the search committee, and I did, and I prepared, and I also, in that conversation, before it was over, I was very frank about what I said in the first conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm looking at you, and you're looking at me, and do you understand what this would mean mm-hmm. for this company? You, you, you would take on things um, that I don't see as a part of your mission, and you wouldn't have to deal with it if you hired a person who happened to be white. Are you prepared for that? I really hope you all are talking about that. Yeah. And I go, I don't, I don't know specifically what it is. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say if I thought I did, because I wouldn't want to set a prophecy in motion. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe mm-hmm. this will be the time when no one will bat an eye and this will just be, you know, a great, you know, wonderful thing. And so far, actually, that's what it feels like, yeah. except for a couple of unenlightened comments that who actually there, the two things I'm thinking of, I actually pursued conversations with both of those people and the dialogue goes on. So it's, it's been an amazing thing so far. But anyway. Well, can without obviously naming any names, I'd be really interested in what are the examples of sort of misguided perceptions that you're that you're thinking about um, have dealt with. Well, let me let me offer a primer before I answer that question. Mm-hmm. That when I I trained at as an actor at Yale Drama School and and um, at Yale and many of the major institutions, conservatories around the country still, um, it is just assumed that all of the students, including the students of color, w- will be doing the Western European training. And in the 33 p- full productions that I did as a student at the drama school, only three times did I pull it, where it was I cast in roles that were specific for a black man. Right. And it was just assumed that I would do the Shakespeare canon and and the other Western European canons, classical and contemporary, it was just assumed. Now, I, I there were periods where I felt like, well, you know, I feel like I'm invisible. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the training is good, but wh- wh- I'm constantly having to attend to who I am on levels beyond the, the role in the given circumstances. So who's the man behind it? And... And constantly aware of being the minority in in most of my life, but in, and it continues as long as I work in the mainstream American theater. But after years of that struggle, one day I realized, but you know what? I actually benefited from the best training because I got to do so many things far outside of my culture and comfort zone, and my white counterparts never got to even taste other Mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. But no one thinks about that. I, it took me years before I came to that understanding and, gra- and, and level of, of gratitude. So that was the primer. That's the primer. So okay. when a, a devotee of this company mm-hmm. communicates to me that the first communication is, oh, so is it going to be all August Wilson now? Mm-hmm. Now, there was a messenger who delivered that message, and it was the messenger that I, I decided to track down and, and um, have a glass of wine with. Uh-huh. And they, it was a terrific conversation. It was a terrific conversation. And, and actually, the messenger was saying, look, you know, I get it, but more than two it's people. Right. And I thought, in this transition, mm-hmm. you should know this. Mm-hmm. So, so then I said, so... 
so we had a great talk and it, it, and, and then I said, so what's, what's the issue with August Wilson? Do you think like what, what, what if, you know, mm -hmm. I program August Wilson and they looked me right in the eye and they said, okay, this in Chicago for the last two decades, there've been nothing less than five productions of August Wilson plays every year. August Wilson is fantastic, mm -hmm. but I do know there are other black playwrights out there who are really good. Right. Okay. I got you. And so the reason that I tell that story is because it's important for me to not be reactionary because mm -hmm. that, 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 there's a beautiful relationship that has come out of that. Mm -hmm. And that relationship has become uh, unsolicited by me on their own um, volition. One of my greatest cheerleaders, one of my greatest advocates. And so there are, you know, there are already people out there, um, able to be my mouthpiece with the primer. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh, right. Well, let me, if you, go ahead. on the mm. other side, mm. you know, there are, I've been approached by some black artists who have been, who have been frustrated over the years about not being considered at companies like Remy Bumpo mm -hmm. and have sort of given up. And I've seen that when we did our, our open calls, when we did our, specific calls for roles, uh, the people of color not showing up and I, because I think so beaten down, so broken in that, well, it's never going to happen. So it's going to take more than one invitation. I mean, we have mm -hmm. to cultivate, I have to, I have to, you know, we have to prove it. Like we are now committed to, um, multiculturalism and diversity, not as a knee jerk in a, in a furthering of very smart idea driven storytelling. Yeah. And it's not that there was anything, um, Opposed to that in Rebbe Bumpo's history, it just hadn't been leaned into. Mm -hmm. I don't need to lean into it. It's my, it's it's just the most obvious thing for me, and right. that's one right. of the examples where how we're finding each other during mm -hmm. this transition time, myself and the rest of the company. It's mm -hmm. been an amazing ongoing conversation. Um, if I were going to now try to spit back to you what I just heard. Mm -hmm. Um, about your own feelings about how you want to be perceived and, and the assumptions you would want people to come into the room. I think you're saying you've done a huge range of literature, including a deep uh, grounding in your training in kind of, as you said, the Western canon. Mm -hmm. You haven't specialized in black American or black literature at all. Is, is that right? Um, I, I would say it's 50-50 in my career. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um so you're saying if you hire a black artistic director, inevitably that's going to affect the work we do, not just how we do it, but the kind of work we do. Is that right? The, 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 it's right because I'm a just if you hire a different individual. That's true. Right. It's going to change. Right. The the makeup of this individual, where it is um, similar to James Bonin, is in. Um, a, uh, a striving for a level of excellence and appreciation for idea and language driven plays, mm -hmm. Western European model. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. And then we get to personal tastes automatically because as I said earlier, just to survive in mainstream America, mm -hmm. I have to not only be clear about who I am, but I have to be crystal clear and accomplished in what mainstream America needs us to be accomplished in to survive. So as part of my makeup, just coming in the door, black and Afrocentric culture comes with me as a part of the mix. Yeah. But anything I do, anything I do 
even for, for me, be, even for me in terms of how I would approach, for instance, the first show of the season, Morty Becomes Electra, anything that I do from a point of a personal taste as, as a particular artist that would veer from another director's vision, someone like James Bonin, that will, that reflects me culturally, racially. It's, by new to me, it's not even a conscious thought to me. Right. It's just, but it's a huge change for the audiences, mm-hmm. for the artistic associates, for, uh, what, um, the board founders, you know. And again, it's welcome. I hope I haven't put out there at all. I mean, everyone has just been nothing but welcoming and anticipatory of, of the changes. Mm-hmm. But as, you know, the slight, what I feel is the slightest change, the reaction is, is, for me, outweighs what it is I'm trying to bring into the room. Mm-hmm. But I understand why. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot more teaching that goes along with my job as artistic director in-house and out out of the out-house. house um, <laughs> than if, I assuming, mm-hmm. a white person was hired. Mm-hmm. I, I do it willingly. I do it happily. But, but there's an invisible line that... I, that may be crossed on my part because when, when am I being an educator at the task at hand? And when is it, when am I on a soapbox? Mm-hmm. It's the line is invisible, mm-hmm. right. you know? Right, right. Well, are there things you can say about how you feel your identity as an African American comes into your artistic sensibility? I mean, is there a way, I mean, we, you've alluded to it. You feel like it's a part of you in a way, in, inevitably. Yeah. Um, is there anything you can say to describe ways that you think, for instance, the way you approach Morning Becomes Electra isn't just because you're a different guy, but because you're a different black guy? No, there's something between those two things. Mm-hmm. The, the, I approach it as a different guy, but my, how I see the interplay in the relationships, the, the, the level of dysfunction of this fat, this American family mm-hmm. brings with it, uh, very specific emotions, a very specific dynamic, uh, of how those relationships get played out. Mm-hmm. And, because I was raised black in America, the way those emotions, the liquid part, not the tactile part, mm-hmm. fire up in me will definitely influence how I guide mm-hmm. these actors through those relationships. What I notice in my body of work, it tends to be more fiery. Mm-hmm. It tends to have more immediacy. It tends to more fully balance the intellect as opposed to mm-hmm. taking the back seat mm-hmm. that the, that I don't see the man and family. I don't see this play as a revenge tragedy. I, I see it. I, I see it through the eyes of the two main women, uh, Christine and Lavinia and how, if you, you just read it off the page from the perspective of what I, what I grew up with, mm-hmm. I, I, yes, I recognize the cruelty, but they actually say, I'm doing this for your own good. Mm-hmm. And they actually it's, it's not it's only true. to believe it, it's true. Yeah. So, and that's just because of the way that I was raised and that had everything to do with culture and race specificity of this, what, how I grew up, where I grew up and, you know, specifically lower middle class black kid in America. That's a, a lovely answer, actually. Very, um, communicated a lot to me. Um, 
Well, I'm sure that you don't want this whole interview to be about the fact that you are a black American director because that's important, but that's certainly not the whole story. No, it's not. And no, I don't want it to be. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it, it, it so often goes, we don't talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that that, this conversation about race, about, you know, what Maya Angelou says, we absolutely are more alike than we are different, but the differences are still very important. Right. And the differences have gone so long un, without being worked through and, and, and communicated mm-hmm. to a degree where we can actually address things. So I say that to say that, yes, though, maybe the, this conversation is being dominated. If you think of the, the royal conversations that aren't happening, no, we're not even like, you know, so I don't mind. Right. You know, there are periods in my life where I will not talk about race and mixed company because Uh it just, it gets me so aggravated and so frustrated. And I go through periods where I can't, but for some reason I'm really, I'm in a period right now where, you know, I can't, I I feel responsible (laughs) because if I'm going to take this job, I said to myself, you realize now, you know, as long as people come to it, like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, calculated ignorance drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. I get if people simply don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, again, I try to stay on the side of cynicism. I I try never to shame people, you know, no Mm -hmm. matter, no matter how obvious the question may be to me, if it feels genuine, but Mm -hmm. if people are, you know, being provocateurs, then there's another side of me that will come out. Maybe you'll see that someday. I don't know. I I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be a provocateur. Well, what you said about the the um, the unspoken, the way that people dance around this issue, yeah. rang so true to me. And I um I interviewed Anna Devere Smith mm. um, a while back, and she was talking about how she's frustrated by the unwillingness of people to actually engage. Right. You know, just like well, let's just talk about this. We we don't understand each other because we're not talking. It's become um a, people are so. Uh, committed in a good, out of good heartedness yes. to not, um, to not hurting feelings, to not saying, you know, to not being insensitive. Right. But they've frozen and the dialogue has frozen. Right. Um, and I personally think it's terrific that you're opening this dialogue up. Mm. So I just wanted to just voice my own gratitude to you if that's something you're taking on because it feels to me very important and very helpful. Um, and I, you know, it, 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 I don't come into this interview knowing whether you would want to be thought of as an African American director or just want to be thought of as a director. I don't know something like that. And I don't know coming in whether you want to do half your work, uh, with African American writers or that's a, essentially a commercial necessity for you. Do you know? I'm just like everyone else. I want my world to reflect my world. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, spend a lot of time with black people. Right. <laughs> and, but by the same token, the, the, the audience, I mean, we go to the theater whether we realize it or not, really what we're impacted by is seeing our experience on the stage. We go because of the relevance of what's happening on the stage. That's why we return. Mm-hmm. And, and so as in just an individual person who has this position of leadership, it's a given for me. And I've been on 
uh, I've been saying this from the very beginning of the interview process mm-hmm. with Harvey Bumper, like that's gonna, that's just going to be happening, right. you know, and as this company grows, that's going to be happening with the staff as well. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's just, it's just, it's not self-conscious for me, but because Chicago or the Remy Bumpo audiences are not used to seeing it, it's going to have a much bigger impact there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So yes, I want you to think of me as an African-American director, but that, but that doesn't mean that I want you to think of me as someone who only specializes in African-American plays. Right. I am an African-American director. Right. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, you got that right. Like, you know, we don't have to avoid that, right. but it doesn't mean you know, I think traditionally or unconsciously, it means then that's all I can do. Right. This, yeah. mm-hmm. But it's just that what that's a lot of pressure for that one label. Well, and, and part <laughs> of me is saying, well, you know, when people go to see 90% of what we think of as classical theater, mm-hmm. they're seeing worlds that are as divorced yes. from their own world yes. as, you know, any, as August Wilson would be to a resident of, Highland Park. Yeah. Um, so, so that's to me an intrinsic part of what theater is. Right. The settings are interesting and fun to visit all these different foreign lands, so to speak, but actually a very small part of what makes what you called relevance or what makes something relatable. I mean, I'm not sure, and, and maybe you would disagree, but I'm not sure that I'm intrinsically as a white American more likely to understand some 19th century Norwegians plays or, you know, Russian Chekhov plays than you are. But the, 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 if the story is well told, it's going to reach us in the same place. Exactly. It's when we come to reflect upon it and talk about it that if there are perceived differences, that's where it's going to come Mm up. Right. But Right. No matter what the story, the origin, who's telling it, if it's told well, if it's told with authenticity and integrity, right. we're going to get it. Right. What you said, I loved the image you used about the liquid part of you, mm-hmm. which I took to mean kind of this emotional gut level, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and that you're right. That's where sometimes I'll go and be sitting next to someone else who has some absolutely different reaction because of something in their personal history. Mm-hmm. And that that just so made sense to me. So. Right. Um, so, um, so going back to the question of choosing repertoire, mm-hmm. we have the upcoming season, the 2011, yes. 2012, and I'm not clear whether you, um, had a hand in that. Yes, or, that yeah. was all mine. That was I yours. was appointed in October. Oh, right. Okay. So you've had <laughs> And it's to... been a lot of just, you know, hurry up and wait. But during that period, we took the opportunity to create the season. Great. And there were many plays that the associates have been wanting to do for a while that they gave to me. And there were a lot of plays that I hadn't. My bag of plays I've always wanted to do over mm-hmm. the years mm-hmm. that um, I couldn't get other theaters to look at, but now I have my own theater. So, right. And we, it was a wonderful exchange, and it was a great way to start to get to know each other through yeah. tastes in plays. And we are starting the season with an adaptation of Eugene O'Neill's Morning Becomes Electra. Mm-hmm. Uh, the adaptation is by Gordon Edelstein, who is the artistic director at Long Wharf Theater. And it is all uh, all O'Neill's words, but it has been distilled down from its six-hour uh, opus down to under three. Mm-hmm. And it's all action now. If you can imagine that, O'Neill is an action, uh, <laughs> <laughs> an action movie, <laughs> action thriller. Um, and then the next play that we came to is a Marivaux play. The English translation is usually double in constancy, but this version is called Changes of Heart and it's translated and adapted by Stephen Wadsworth. And, um, Marivaux is a fascinating mm-hmm. playwright, uh, for Americans, I, I, I think, and very challenging. It is the, the 
pursuit of love across class lines. And it looks at that as a fundamental theme, but really the core of it is the what happens in the pursuit of love, the forcing of one's own authenticity and tearing away of that which is not real in them to earn, to be worthy of the pursued. If, if an audience doesn't understand how horrifying it was for a pre-revolutionary French audience to see characters of different classes in pursuit of each other, then it really is impossible to get to the core of what Marivaux is really doing. It's really about the self. So we're setting our production. I, I thought, you know, how does we do this? So what I came to is setting the production in Chicago in the 1960s. And yes, it, we are looking at a differing races, but so much of tied into the confusion about race in this country has to do with class now. It really has, there are very real issues still around race, but it really has the, the heat is really about class now. And so even though, you know, interracial relationships in America, in Chicago, won't be that, you know, horrifying, the audience, 60s is close enough for the audience to remember. Mm -hmm. And so once they kept that, catch that vibe and will lean into that, then they can hear Marivaux's play. And that's why I'm doing it. Yes, it's an opportunity to um, cast um, multiculturally, but it's not a knee jerk. I really am doing this because it's the only way I could figure out how to access Marivaux's play for an American audience. Um, there'll be some wonderful music underscore as well. We're not undermining the language at all, though. The language is gorgeous. And what Wadsworth has done is really created a language that fits into American mouths in the most beautiful Mm way. Mm -hmm. Uh, our third play of the season is Chesapeake by Lee Blessing. And this is uh, the playwright's response to what happened with the NEA four back in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. when they were demonized by a senator who decided to make his campaign these individual artists mm-hmm. and they were uh they were brought into the spotlight and were just demonized and this and the ruling and really it was a beginning of trying to get away get rid of the NEA funding altogether mm-hmm. but what the senator did succeed in doing was uh an individual individual artist can no longer get funding on their own. They have to be attached to an institution. That's what, what succeeded. So a similar thing happens to the uh, protagonist in this play. His name is Kerr. He's a performance artist who's being demonized by a Southern senator from his own district. And um, and it, I, I hesitate to go any further because there is such a wonderful twist to the magical realism mm-hmm. of this piece mm-hmm. that I don't want to slip and give give it away. Right. Um, it's it's wonderfully joyful and all about redemption and. And really does bring light to the complexities of public funding for the arts. So Rami Bampo is known for theming the seasons. Mm-hmm. And this season is the American evolution from civil war to civil rights to civil disobedience. So I should have said that first, but I think if, you know, it explains itself. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me just ask one last question. You said that um, the company, I believe you said, hired you without having seen your work. Correct. Is it true the other way around? Yes, you came without having seen their Yes. Work. Well, good luck to you Thank all. you. <laughs> no, this is, I mean, that's part, even part of what's so beautiful about that is, and I'm a, I'm a real sort of fatalist in that way, that that willingness to t- mm. such a leap of faith on right. both our parts, right. no matter what may come up that's challenging, that's going to carry us. Right. And and I, so it kind of was perfectly divined. <laughs> Great. Good. Well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about it. My pleasure, Anne. Thank you. Mm. 